0: I got to take a deep breath. Yeah. (laughs) Colossians chapter 2, looking at verse 6 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. "...by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the power of God, who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him when He forgave us all our trespasses. Erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, He set aside, nailing it to the cross." He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. We're going to pause right there. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Jesus, it is good to be here this morning to be celebrating. We thank you for the beautiful day, the beautiful morning to wake up to get a a real good sense of new life coming. We thank you for what you are teaching us in your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Speak through me or despite me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me give you a little bit of an explanation for those of you that maybe weren't, uh, haven't been with us all the way through Lent. Uh, for 40 days of Lent, we had a cross up here. And um, that cross during Lent, we were confessing things that were wrong in our own lives, but also things that are not right in the world. And, and we were naming some of those things, um, injustice, violence, violence. Uh, unbelief, greed, lust, and pride. Those were some of the things that we were looking at in the world, but also confessing that, that we play a role in that. That same cross was used on Good Friday, and we had it here and had these lights with red on the cross, just highlighting that all of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our brokenness, was nailed on the cross and it was there with Jesus on that Friday. That same cross is out front this morning and we've been putting flowers in it and I'm anxious to see it here after the service. I came and there were like two flowers in it because I got here early and put it out there and uh, I'm excited to see how that's been growing and collecting our signs of new life. I was doing some reading this week of some different people's ideas of what the cross means and and what the resurrection means, and one of those thoughts that I came across was from uh, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament uh, Paul scholar, and he said, you know, it's really interesting with the crucifixion and the resurrection. With the crucifixion, Nobody really doubts this historical event happened. Even skeptics and critics of the Christian faith accept that the crucifixion actually happened. What's debated among theologians and people that are higher pay grade and more education, I guess, than me, uh, debate is what is what exactly is happening on the cross, all the, the fine minutiae of how Jesus' death atones for sins and what the substitution means and, and all of that. On the flip side of that, the event of the resurrection gets debated among skeptics and critics. But the meaning is accepted. And what N.T. Wright says is that both of these events are intimately connected to one another, that both of them are critical to our faith and to our life, that without the cross, we're still floundering around in our guilt and our shame, and we still owe a price that, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to pay. But without the resurrection, death is still in charge. Death is still the final answer. Both of these are linked together. I want to show you a picture of the cross that we had collected. This started out just an uh, empty wooden cross with some chicken wire around it. And over the uh, Lenten season, we've been confessing. When I took this picture, I thought, oh, that looks really neat. Because I'm a visual person, I like, I like that visual meaning. And then I stopped. Why does this look so neat? I said, well, it's full. It accomplished the, the goal that I had in mind of us visualizing something. That's a lot of brokenness. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of guilt and, and shame that that represents. We've taken that, and now this morning it's being filled with new life. So, what happens at the cross? What's going on? Not too many people argue about this historical event, but all kinds of things are happening on the cross. Some theologians want to argue exactly the the ins and outs. In some way, Jesus is dying in the place of sinners. This is what Scripture affirms for us. You know what? I love that sometimes Scripture doesn't figure out all the details. It tells us the story that we need to know, and it says... The fact is, is that Jesus died in the place of sinners. It also teaches us that in some way Jesus is paying the legal obligation of sin, which is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what Romans affirms for us. One of the questions I had uh, this week as I was thinking about that question is who is holding God and Jesus accountable or or? Uh, making sure that they pay up, Scripture would point to an accusing attorney. I know sometimes we have this bad image of lawyers in our head, but accusing attorney is kind of the interpretation of what Scripture calls the Satan, the accusing attorney. How many of you have ever read the book or, or watched the movies, I'll include that, of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Didn't read it? Go read it. In this story, it's about two uh, boys and two girls, two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve who enter into this magical land of Narnia. And they enter into a place that is being ruled and governed by the white witch, and she is the embodiment of evil in that world. And unbeknownst to them, there is this prophecy in Narnia that if two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve sit on these thrones in this castle called Kerperabel, that her end will come, that the eternal winter that has been happening will be over, and and spring will come, and Aslan, who is a lion that symbolizes, symbolizes Jesus, will return. Well, during this story, one of the sons of Adam, Edmund, becomes a traitor. He switches sides and he goes and he informs the white witch that the brothers and sisters are are there and that Aslan is coming. He turns his back on his family. The punishment, according to the law, according to the deep magic, is that all traitors must be put to death. The wages of sin is death. And it's the white witch who demands the payment be made. Her hope is to end the prophecy. If one of the sons of Adam is no longer alive, they're not going to fulfill the prophecy. Aslan comes. And he barters for the life of Edmund. And he himself goes and pays the price for the traitor. And he dies a death on a stone table at the hands of the white witch, but the white witch, she doesn't know that there's something deeper, there's something more alive happening, and that when Aslan pays the price for a sin that he did not commit, death itself begins to work backwards. So imagine the witch's surprise when an Aslan that she drove the knife into comes roaring back to battle To destroy evil. It's how C.S. Lewis pictured Jesus' victory on the cross and the resurrection as the king comes roaring back to fight evil. On Friday, we read words from uh, a fourth century uh, bishop named John Chrysostom, and he talks about how Jesus' death on the cross is a battle that that turns things backwards. Here's what his words say. He says, Do you see how the devil is defeated by the very weapons of his prior victory? The devil had vanquished Adam by means of a tree, but Christ vanquished the devil by means of the tree of the cross. The tree sent Adam to hell, but the tree of the cross brought him back from there. The tree revealed Adam in his weakness, laying prostrate, naked, and low, but the tree of the cross manifested to all the world, the victorious Christ, naked and nailed on high. Adam's death sentence passed on to all who came after him, but Christ's death gave life to all his children. See, the cross shows us the loving heart of a God who will go to such incredible lengths to be reunited to restore his relationship with his creation. And so on Friday, we gather to celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday is kind of an interesting name for a day. It's really only because we know that that's not the end of the story that we can call it Good Friday, right? We know that there's more to it. As Christians, we live in this tension of celebrating the death of Jesus because we know ultimately that resurrection is coming. We know that it was our sin, our guilt, our shame, not his, that was nailed to the cross. Isaiah says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Over Lent, we talked about how we are drawn into patterns of violence and injustice. We talked about how we often pursue things to make ourselves feel good, and we call that greed and lust and ultimately pride. We looked at Jesus, Paul and John and their words, encouraging us as followers of Jesus not to run after what everybody else is running after, not to pursue the things that everyone else seems to be driven by. We talked about some philosophies and emptiness that sometimes we are tempted to pursue. But here's what Paul says about those sins, those old patterns, that brokenness that we have been confessing. In Colossians 2, he says, verse 12, we were buried with him in his baptism, in baptism, in our baptism. When you were dead in trespasses, 13. In verse 14, it says, he set this, that he set the record that stood against us aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul is talking about how we have been identified with Jesus in his death. We go through the process of being immersed in the water as dying to ourself and being raised to new life. It says we were dead in our sin, our trespasses, and that was nailed to the cross. So in some way, Jesus, the fullness of God, as Paul puts it, dies for the sins of the world as a sacrifice, as a payment for sin. But Friday isn't the end. See, those same scriptures say, you were also raised with him. We didn't just die, we were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13 ends with, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. And verse 15 ends with, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. That rulers and authorities is some interesting language. Uh, Paul sometimes uses rulers and authorities to talk about these um, spiritual beings and this spiritual battle that's that's happening. But other times, Paul will use this this phrase, uh, rulers and authorities, to talk about earthly rulers and authorities. It seems like the spiritual battle that's happening in in this realm that we don't fully perceive spills over into the physical world. There's no debating the significance of the resurrection. It means the script of history gets flipped. All things are beginning to be made new. The accuser, Satan, thinks he wins over Jesus. Because in everyone's experience, death seems to be The end. But in resurrection, the seemingly impossible happens. It turns out that death is not the end of the story. And Paul is reminding us that we have been identified with Christ in his death, and now we are being identified with Christ in his resurrection. On the cross, Jesus takes the sin of the world, the sin and brokenness of the entire creation comes to a head at one place, at one point in history, in one person, and Jesus takes the sin of the world on himself. So the cross is also the way in which Jesus becomes the victor in a cosmic battle. The resurrection is Christ's defeat then over death. And it's a promise for those that are identified with Christ in His death and in His resurrection that we can enjoy new life, that death is not the final part of the story. And so our confessions over Lent were important. It's a realization that our own efforts haven't really achieved very much at all. It's the realization that our stories by themselves have not amounted to much. My story on its own, still ends with death. No matter how good I think I've been or how bad I think I've been. We have this realization that being identified with the story of Jesus the Christ is what leads to real life. And so our confessions were taken onto the cross And as we were confessing through that Lenten season, any time we confess and and come to the realization that we still have brokenness in our lives and Jesus is still at work transforming us more and more into his image, every time we confess, I'm not sure that we surprise Jesus. I'm not sure we surprise God. Oh, man, I I didn't know you were doing that. Hold on a second. Now see all of that sin, guilt, and shame was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It doesn't surprise him. Those confessions were taken onto the cross. And guess what? They're not yours anymore. They're not there anymore. They're buried and gone. Your sin, your brokenness, your insufficiencies... Your injustice, your violence, your unbelief, your greed, your lust, your pride, they're not there anymore. It's gone with the rest. All that's left is new life. So we come back to the beginning of our scripture that I read from Colossians Verses 6 and 7 say this: As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says, continue to walk or live lives in Him. And that le- means that we are called to leave that stuff that we confessed and put on the cross. Leave it. It's dead, tired, old way of living. Leave it at the cross. Don't take it back. Don't keep walking in that way. Paul's encouraging us to live, to walk with Jesus in new life. He uses the words rooted, built up in him, and established in faith. By now you know uh, that I like gardening, I like being in the garden, and we're coming towards the uh, last frost date. I don't know how many of you pay attention to that, but we're coming towards the last frost date. For those farmers and gardeners, that's a big deal. and We can start planting and stuff comes up and we don't have to worry about it. But Back in February, I started some plants, some lettuce and some other things, and some of it worked out well and some of it didn't. but some of the things that can be out in the cold weather, like some of the lettuce that I grow. I started to move outside, it's called hardening off, and, and you kind of find the cream of the crop, what plants are going to survive outside. And then you take those plants and you plant them in the garden beds. They start off in this perfect, pristine soil to help it's got all the nutrients and things that seed needs. But you move it outside and you you plant it in the garden and you can tell that these plants start to grow deep roots. Because they're now they're no longer that little seedling thing that popped up at first. But they're growing. They're they're turning green. They're they're getting bigger. You can you can see the life coming as they've been enjoying the rain that we've been having and also the the sun that we've been having, and especially yesterday, I think you could see it growing. It was beautiful. We are called to be rooted in our faith, rooted in this story of Jesus, to grow, to, to get strength from that story, to be watered by the Spirit, to get lots of uh, sunshine, spending time with Jesus. It leads us to new life. And so I want to invite all of us to walk in new ways, to walk with Jesus every day, day in and day out, to realize that our sins have been paid for, absorbed on the cross, to know that you can be identified with Jesus both in his death and his resurrection. And if you've never identified with Jesus, you're still stuck in that pattern of trying to fix everything yourself, stuck in pride and selfishness. I want to tell you that there's a king, a Christ who came to show us the loving heart of God, to show us and to teach us how to live. And he died on a cross to pay for our sins, And he was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he walked out of that tomb. He was raised to new life. He returned to his kingdom, but the king will come again to complete his victory. And you are invited to share in that victory. The king is Jesus the Christ, my king and my God. Amen.